Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 to chapter 4, verse 1. Read along with me. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. This is the word of the Lord. Well, do keep that Bible passage open there. Um, I always get freaked out that Mikey preaches sitting down. I only know two people cool enough to get away with that, Mikey and Jesus. Uh, Yeah, you read in the the Gospels of Jesus sitting down to teach. Um, So there you go. Um, Well, I'm getting to the age where lots of men decide to run a marathon, as I alluded to my shuffling around Beryl Roberts Park. Um, It's the Christian man's midlife crisis. Um, adultery is abhorrent. Uh, buying a sports car feels greedy. So what do we do? Train for a marathon. It aims for something. There's steps along the way. We train our bodies. We try to get rid of that middle age bulge before the precipitous decline into death and old age. And uh, we pretend we're young again. Uh, and we have the reward of getting to the finish line. Do you know anyone like this? Uh, if you've got some... Christian middle-aged male friends, you'll see the post-race selfie on Facebook and you roll your eyes a little bit. But uh, how, how far is a marathon? 40. What's the 21? Is that a half marathon? Gee, a marathon's a long way. Anyway, um, that is the age I'm getting to and uh, I think it's important because what it does is give these guys a bit of hope. Uh, gives them a goal, something to aim towards. And we all have goals in life, don't we? It might be a marathon for you. It might be work goals, family goals, relationship goals. Um, the u- university, I uh, teach up at Griffith Uni uh, with the Christians there, and our students um, have to have goals <laughs> to, in order to get through. They mark due dates on the calendar, in theory, 
And um, although some of them just hope a friend will remind them that there's something due. There's a few uni students here nodding along. Uh, but what does a goal do? It clarifies how to live now. Uh, if you're trying to run a marathon, clarifies you need to get up each morning and just get those kilometres into the legs. Um, if you're a uni student, um, if you are aiming to finish your degree, uh, knowing the goal and what you're aiming for tells you whether to go to the party or say yes to that extra shift at work. Um, if your um, goal is, uh, if you know, end up married with children, if your goal is for them to know you, it clarifies the things you do each day. You won't just live your life gaming or sleeping in or staying late at work every day because your goal tells you how to live. Uh, without goals, we fail to plan. And um, again, I see a few students here, tired, tired students. They're just nodding because they didn't plan and they've done all-nighters and all that sort of stuff when it's all coming due. Now, for uh, the uni students that I teach um, and, uh, and partner with up at the uni, I just say to them, it's utter foolishness to fail to plan for the future. It's just stupidity uh, to fail to account for what's coming up. But the utter foolishness of not planning ahead for uni is the same stupidity for anyone who doesn't look to the even greater horizon of eternity. And that's what our Bible passage is about today, about looking up, looking towards the future. Um, what are your goals? What are you pursuing? What are you living for? Because if you see the end, if you see that goal, you'll know how to live in leading towards that end. Now, this is a part of the Bible directed to Christians. It's written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi, 62 AD or thereabouts, 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. It's a great part of the Bible for me to be teaching from today because Paul's writing about partnership to express his thanks for the partnership um, of the church uh, in Philippi, a church he planted, uh, and he's writing from prison to encourage them, to give them joy in the gospel and thank them for partnering with him. Um, and uh, I mentioned earlier that one of the ways that uh, the, the way I describe partnership from those who partner with my work is prayer, care, and share. And those themes are all the way through Philippians. But the most important way that the Philippians can partner with Paul is through him hearing that they are continuing on with Jesus. That's the greatest way to partner with a missionary, <laughs> that they can hear reports or hear from you that you are staying with Jesus, sticking with him. And so he's writing a letter of thanks to these people for their support, but he writes to encourage them to that end, to keep reaching for the finish line, keep running the race of the Christian life. And um, he's telling them to look up. And this idea of racing, of running the race, is seems to be in Paul's mind. So if you look with me again, have your Bibles open there. Back in chapter 2, verse 16, I did not run or labor in vain. Or in our passage, verse 12, I press on. Or I, uh, verse 14, I press on. It's got that idea of straining forward, reaching forward, kind of like striving towards the finish line in the 100 metres. That's the sort of sense that's uh, even used occasionally in uh, the original language. Uh, or in verse 14, uh, go towards the goal. That I don't normally talk about Greek, but uh, scopon is the word or, or 
and you kind of get the idea of looking down the scope of a rifle to the end, to the finish. Uh, it's a word used of the target in archery or the finish line in a race. That is that end. He speaks in verse 14 of the prize. A prize is given to the victor of a race. And even in chapter 4, verse 1, he speaks of these believers as his crown. Now, what do you think of with crown? Queen, prince, princess. But it's also a word used of the wreath that you would get with winning a race. You know, you sometimes see old Olympics where they get the wreath around. That's that same language. So Paul is talking about the race of the Christian life. That is what is in his mind here. And he's saying, look up towards the finish line and you will know how to live now. Keep looking up. Um, but if you're here, and I realize that everyone here isn't a Christian today. And so there is still a word for he, uh, here for you, and I'll come back to this at the end. But uh, the point here is don't be distracted by the scenery of life. Because if you haven't seen that eternal end, then uh, you're missing the race that we are all on and being distracted by the scenery. And so what Paul is also pointing to here is that there is more to life than this life. There are spiritual realities. Heaven and hell are real. There is a God who loves you, who died for you. And life and its many distractions, enjoyable as they might be, can be distracting you from seeing that you are on a race towards the finish line when Christ will return. So as we look at this race today, as Paul encourages us also to look up, I have three points. The first one will be the longest, training, focusing, and finishing. The last point will be about 30 seconds. Training, focusing, and finishing. So first, training. Uh, Paul's goal uh, in verses 10 to 16, uh, he began in the previous passage, just to give a bit of context, his goal is to reach the resurrection from the dead. So uh, go back with me to chapter 3, verse 7. This is uh, the passage leading into this. He says, Whatever were gains to me in my life, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul has in mind the end, this thing as he talks to of the resurrection. That is a day that is coming when every knee will bow. And when I spoke to you at Easter, we looked at that passage that Jesus Christ in very nature God did not grasp hold of his place on the throne but took on the nature of a servant and being found in appearance as a man, he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's referring back to that thing, uh, that hymn he took them through 
in chapter 2 where Jesus is now risen and reigning as Lord and one day every knee will bow before him. Every tongue will acknowledge him as Lord. And he is living for that day, this the resurrection, as he calls it here. History has a beginning and an end. And he wants to be prepared for that day. This future is preoccupying his thinking. But this then sparks the need to clarify that he hasn't yet reached this end. Verse 12. He says, not that I've already reached the goal, or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul says, because I haven't yet reached it, I'm still a work in progress. I'm still training towards that goal. He hasn't arrived yet. Note he says, I'm not already perfect (laughs) Uh, in verse 12. Although Christians often claim perfection, they are not. Paul says, I'm just still a sinner, still struggling along, still striving forward or pressing on towards the end. But rather than being resigned about his imperfections, instead he strives, he works hard to reach the end. He trains for this race that he's on. You need ambition as a Christian, and that ambition is striving towards the finish line to reach the resurrection. And that in that word, pursue or press on or strain, depending on your translation there, has in it the idea of it's hard work. It is, it's that hard work of reaching towards the end. The Christian life is we aren't there yet. But notice his reason for making every effort. He says, verse 12, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He takes hold of this goal. He strives towards the end because Jesus is already holding him. That is, although he is training and working, he's not working for his salvation. He's just covered that Christ's perfection is his righteousness in that first bit I read out. He says we already have the security, therefore he works hard. Now, I know this is a majority of church you have an Asian background, so you work hard. I am a white Aussie. I'm naturally lazy. Okay, Here's how Aussies think. I have the job. Now I can relax. <laughs> they can't fire me. I'll take it easy. <laughs> I used to work in a supermarket. I'd walk from one side of the supermarket to the other. I wasn't doing anything, but I just thought, they think that guy's going to do something. <laughs> he's, he's busy because he's going somewhere. I was just walking to one end to walk back again. This is Aussie thinking it's terrible. But Paul says, no, the opposite of that is not you are safe, therefore relax. It's you are safe in the arms of Jesus, so work hard. Strive. (laughs) Strive towards that end. Press on in the Christian life. And how does Paul do this? Well, verse 13. 
forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He sets every fiber of his being on reaching the finish line of this heavenly prize. It takes this straining, this effort to reach the end. Now, uh, as I said, I'm up at Griffith Uni. One of the things I like to do is make superficial judgments about people. So if I hear someone's a secondary teacher, I try and guess based on their appearance what their subjects are. Oh, you look like a physics and maths person uh, and take of that what you will. And uh, we also have athletes up there who are in the training program. In fact, a bunch of Griffith uh, students from the Gold Coast won a bunch of gold medals. Uh, but the athletes are uh, in our uh, Brisbane campuses. And so we had one girl, Hannah, came to Bible study one year and she said, oh, I'm part of the athletics program here. I said, stop, let me guess, based on superficial judgments, what you do. And I said, hmm, you're not built like a sprinter or a shot putter. Um, you are not tall enough to be a high jumper. Um, I'm guessing at middle distance. And she laughed in my face because she was in the Olympic team for the Commonwealth Games high jump. <laughs> the girl I'd assessed not tall enough made the Commonwealth Games. Anyway, what I saw of Hannah was the discipline of striving and straining and training towards the goal. She watched everything she ate. She trained multiple times a week. She told us that um, a high jumper reaches their peak in their mid-30s. It's a commitment to 20 years of striving and straining towards that goal of the Olympic medal. And that's what it's like for the Christian. It is striving and straining towards the goal, training towards reaching the end. And to do this, Paul says he lets go of the past in order to strain forward to what is ahead. It doesn't mean he's forgotten everything in his past because he still mentions his previous sin. There are still consequences for previous sin. But he's saying, I do not let my sinful past define me because that will stop me growing. This can be important for people here. So often we let our sin define us. But it fails to acknowledge that God promises that as far as the east is from the west, so far are our sins removed from us. And I think I remember that being Megan's favorite psalm, uh, where that's taken from. So he says, Forgetting what lies behind, whether it's his previous sin or his old resume as a, as a Pharisee, he's clear where the attention is to go. If you want to strain forward and grow, your attention is not to be on your sinful past, although there might be consequences from that, but for your eternal future in Christ. It's the runner lunging for the finish line. You do that by reaching forward, not by leaning back. Strain forward, strive, and strive towards the prize. Is the prize Christ himself? Quite possibly, because he's just mentioned his goal is to know Christ. Maybe it's the goal of seeing more people trust in Christ, which we'll get back to in one. But he's saying the end will motivate you to train, to work hard in following Jesus because it is towards the upward call, the heavenly call. It is thoughts of heaven and the end that drive us forward. He says this is the way that mature people are to think in verses 15 to 16. And 
if you think this way, if you don't think this way yet, you'll realize it eventually, he says there in verse 15 and 16. Uh, it's really hard to keep going as a Christian. <laughs> he's saying it's going to be hard work. It's going to be hard, but it's worth it. If you've got your eyes fixed on the end, whatever that hard work is, it will cause you to strive towards the finish line, deliberately pursuing improvement to honour the Lord Jesus in the way we live. Well, that's the first one. I said that was the longest. That's training. Second one is focusing. We're going to run the Christian race. We're going to look towards the end. We don't just need to train, strive for. We need to focus. That is to keep from getting distracted. And Paul does this by contrasting two groups, those who do focus on the future compared to those who only live for now. So he says, verse 17, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So verse 17, he's talking here of the examples they are to copy. Follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me and follow others who are focused on the end. He says, watch us closely and we'll give you an example. It sounds arrogant, doesn't it? Look at me, look at me. But it's not arrogant because he's just admitted he isn't perfect. He would say, I will give you an example of how an imperfect person follows Christ. Uh, and uh, I think that's probably... Uh, I just look around. Let's just look around for a moment. What do you reckon the average age is here? You're all really young in this church. Uh, quite young, quite young. Uh, that's a wonderful thing. I love seeing young people following the Lord Jesus. There's a few old people here. Respect. Um, but I think this is really important because we do need examples that are older than us. <laughs> uh, you do need people around you to, to have examples of those who have suffered for Christ and yet stuck firmly with him, who have gone through a bit of life experience and still have their eyes focused firmly on the end. People that have been broken down, whether by sin they've done or sin others have done to them, and still have their eyes fixed firmly on the end. He says, follow those who follow Christ. Look at their, be involved in their lives. Ask them how they went through it. Let them speak into your life. I didn't grow up in a Christian family. I never read the Bible with my parents. Um, I needed examples around me of those who were doing that. <laughs> there you go. He's saying follow the examples to copy. But there are also examples to ignore of those who are not focused on the future, their eternal future, but live just for the now. So the examples to ignore in verse 18, for... As I've often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Paul here is likely describing professing Christians and it pains him, brings him to tears that they are just living for today. Well, what have they got wrong? It's all about physical desires. Their God is their belly. They just live for experiences. It could be that, you know, the, me alluding earlier to just whether it's, you know, the coffee or food culture. It could just be living for those sort of desires. He, 
Is it just overvaluing the body in general? Boasting, and it leads to them boasting in what should bring them shame, where their consciences permit what God said is wrong. It, this idea of their God is their stomach could just be the living for sinful desires. And that is why their end is destruction, because the things they live for in the world around them will evaporate. I wonder, though, if that phrase, living as enemies of the cross, also tells us something here. It's those who fail to embrace the suffering of the Christian life, who have a theology of glory now. Again, this will be a challenge for you as you grow as a church because many churches just want to put the young good-looking people up on stage. They want to be a social media church that just has the beautiful appearance all the time. But will you keep the oldies up on stage once they start to they start that decline? <laughs> or will you always just be trying to give that appearance of being a 24, 25, 26-year-old church? Those who embrace a theology of glory now uh, are forgetting that we follow the Christ who died on a cross. For the cross is not just salvation, but it is the whole pattern of the Christian life. It should have a bit of a stench of death about it, your life, a bit of a stench of suffering, because glory, although we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another, is fully only going to be realized at the end when Christ returns. So do you see what Paul's describing here in comparing these two groups? Those who focus on life now, who live for today, lose their focus. No longer fixing their eyes on the end, but on now. The Christian life, of course, is not anti-body or anti-now or anti-experience, but it's just saying it's not the main thing. It's running a marathon and getting distracted by the scenery. Now, has anyone here watched the Tour de France? Tour de France? You don't. You don't even. You do not. Well, back back before Netflix, we just had to watch what, whatever was on TV, right? If you wanted, to, if you got back late at night, if you're doing a uni assignment, you just had to put whatever was on. And the only thing on at eleven o'clock at night was the Tour de France, and people love it because there's the race, but the commentators have this whole book where they just take you through the scenery around it because road races are boring, right? <laughs> and so it's, here's this old church that was bombed in World War II. Here's this particular vintage of wine. And it's great. That's why people love watching the Tour de France because there's only about 10 minutes of exciting stuff. The rest is the interest of the scenery around. Now, I give this example to say, um, if you just want the bits around, you could just watch a documentary. The main thing has to be the race. That's why we're watching this TV show. And if we just live for this age, what it's saying is you're being distracted by the scenery and forgetting the race. If you are just living for today, for experiences, for wealth, for food, whatever the sexual desire, for alcohol, whatever those experiences you're living for, it's getting distracted by the scenery and forgetting that you're in the middle of a race. It's fine for us watching it on the TV to appreciate the scenery of the Tour de France. What you don't want to see is the cyclist go past a winery 
and just pull in. That would be foolish, right? It's forgetting that they're in a race and getting distracted by the scenery. Well, that's what it's like for us. If we just live for the things of this world, we're forgetting that we're on a race towards the finish line. Now, the bigger picture of the Bible will be knowing the finish line will help us enjoy those things rightly. It's not a denial of the things of this earth, but it's keeping them in their right place. It's not the main thing. It's a race towards the end. Keep looking up. And that's what he says. The answer to this, the way to get the focus is heavenly thinking, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. For us, our citizenship is in heaven. We live that citizenship now. We take that future reality of who who we will be in Christ and live that out as believers now. And again, this gives us a bit more of a sense of what it will look like for us. We are those who have moved to another country and so the cultures we had will just not quite fit in. When someone moves to Australia, they've got to work out the way that the Australian culture works. Well, we are citizens of heaven, so when, although we're on earth, we will stand out as different. (laughs) Our culture will be different to those around us. It'll make you look different. And there are privileges and obligations that come with having a passport for heaven. And so we look forward and live out our heavenly citizenship as we await the Saviour from heaven. Note here, he is not just thinking of heaven as floating around. That's not our thoughts of heaven, you know, floating on a, crowd, on a cloud. But he is thinking of Jesus. It's not just thinking about the future in a vague sense, but about Jesus, King Jesus reigning where we will reign with him. And he says, if your attention is there, it'll help you not live for your body, to worship the God of our body, because we know that one day our bodies will be transformed. Did you see that there? He will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. He said, look forward to the future. It's like when you're driving in the car, if you look forward, everything else is just a blur. It goes out of fo- If you're focused on the end, everything else remains out of focus. And that's why we eagerly await his return. Now again, just in our context, and because there's a lot of young, very beautiful looking people out there, um, I think this is a particular thing that I've noticed in the 20 years since I was at uni, is the way we have come to worship our bodies even more. I think it's probably social media. It's probably Tinder, you know, when people are just making superficial views. You're living for that selfie. You, uh, the amount of guys that just live at the gym <laughs> uh, that spend thousands of dollars on supplements. Now, you know, bodily training is of some value. There is a Bible verse for training our bodies. But I think there's a great warning here that we can become so obsessed with it that it becomes distracting. It's living for the scenery and forgetting the race towards the end. Uh, You are a shadow of your future self. 
So there you go, training, focusing. I said we'd do 30 seconds on finishing. That's where he concludes the last bit of the race is getting to the end. <laughs> and so chapter 4, verse 1, it really sums up what he's been saying here. He says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord this way, dear friends. He says, keep going with Jesus, reach the finish line. And he refers to his crown and joy on that final day will not be the food he's eaten or his great photos he took when he was 27 years old. His crown and joy on that final day will be the people he's brought along with him. <laughs> that is his reward in heaven. We don't take anything else with us, do we? You won't take your house. I won't take my coffee roaster to heaven, although I hope there'll be coffee in heaven. But what we take with us is the people we have encouraged along the way. He's pointing here to reaching the finishing line, but not just by yourself, with those who you've encouraged along the way. You're doing that by being here this morning, <laughs> encouraging others by your presence. Well, I've got two implications here. I've got look up and run together. You probably don't normally do questions here. Any questions from this? So just give you a moment. Does Mikey normally do question time? No. Sorry, I'm just going rogue here. Uh, think for a moment. Are there any questions on this passage or anything I've covered? And then I'll just quickly come to my two implications. Any questions? No questions, it means you've understood everything or nothing. Yeah, at the back. Um, let me just repeat the question and you tell me if I've got it right. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, so uh, again, just for those at home, so the question was, uh, so the warning was, as you grow as a church, not to just be glorying in, in the young people. Um, yeah, and I think we've got to take the biblical um, yeah, uh, emphasis that wisdom comes with age. Now, it doesn't mean that everyone that is, that is old is wise, <laughs> but wisdom comes with age. So it's sort of realizing that we are a body of Christ and people at different ages and with different experiences can uh, yeah, give us different blessings. But just what I've noticed, in, in so, like we're in social media age, right, where everything's about appearances, and we can just tend to translate whatever people are going for on Facebook and Instagram into the way we do church, where everything's got to be perfect and look perfect, and no one, you know, we don't have any brokenness amongst us where you know, sin is, is never mentioned, sort of hushed off to the side. So the warning there is that um, we are broken people, and Paul ta talks of his own sin very you know, uh, deliberately there. And so at the moment, like, you know, look around. It's a, really, you know, it's a beautiful young congregation. It's a beautiful thing. But that's not the whole of the Christian body. That's not the whole of the Christian life. There's got to be space for brokenness and sin and one of the ways you've got to be careful of that is not just giving you know time up the front just for everyone that's got it together 
Or you don't have to turf off people as they get to a certain age and always just keep trying to portray this view of being young. You want to have a much broader variety being shown in the body of Christ. So it's just a temptation for a church where you are pretty much mostly within a fairly young age range that as you age and new people become believers and new people come to church, that you represent that diversity as you get it. You don't just keep it at this ideal age that you're at now. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. My church has got a great range of ages. We've got the same temptation. We don't just want to put the young, impressive people on stage. We want to see the variety of the church and believers in depth and have a place for brokenness, not a theology of glory. Yeah. One more question, if there is one. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I'll just repeat the question uh, again for everyone, and uh, I know this the video goes out as well. So the question is: uh, Men fail to sh often to show vulnerability, and they have a have a difficulty there. So how do you model that in an appropriate way while still um, you know, leading families well, that sort of stuff. Is that the, the right vibe? Yeah, so um, I think Paul is a great model here. So even though he says forgetting what lies behind and straying forward to what is ahead, he talks about being a persecutor of the church earlier in this. <laughs> so he, he owns up to his sin, and yet he doesn't let that sin define him. So I think we just think, okay, Christ has forgiven my sin, I therefore no one needs to know. Or... Christ has forgiven my sin, therefore there are no consequences for my sin publicly. Whereas what we are told is we are to confess our sins. <laughs> we are to confess them to one another. And I think it's just about being, having this, where are the spaces that we're going to be real <laughs> with one another? And I imagine you have small groups. I'm not sure what you call them here. Home groups, connect groups, whatever you call them. Uh, I'm sure that's a place for it. It's, okay, I'm a, one of the things about guys is, we don't do the touchy-feely stuff where we just sit across the table and talk. Women find that much more comfortable in general than men. Sometimes guys have to be doing something to really open up. <laughs> it's going for a walk together. <laughs> it's kicking a soccer ball around or going out to a movie and then having food together after or making a meal together, whatever it happens to be. I think it's a real practical step is don't just start telling everyone about all your sins. It's about what are the spaces here where we're going to be broken. <laughs> um, you know, where as a, as a preacher, if I'm preaching up here, am I going to appropriately say, here's something, you know, <laughs> I really struggle with. And, you know, I, I joked about the coffee before, but there is a reality where my life could very much be determined. I love food. I love good food. I love cooking, where I could become so distracted by that that I'm failing to live towards the end, to prioritize my time in a way that points towards that future in Jesus. So, yeah, I say it in jest, but that, I think that is a real temptation for me, that I don't want to spend all my, thir all my afternoons 
roasting coffee and researching. <laughs> um, like it can very quickly go from enjoying a gift from God to living for my belly. Um, so there's brokenness here. It's finding those spaces. Great question. Hey, let me wrap up. Sorry to go rogue like that. Apologies, Mikey. Um, I've got two implications there really quick. One is look up. Uh, now, I've had, has anyone seen the movie Don't Look Up on Netflix? I can't remember if there's too much sex or violence in it, so I'm not sure if I'm allowed to recommend it. Anyway, the idea is there's an asteroid coming, a meteor, uh, and it's about to hit the Earth. And so rather, there's a few people. Uh, it's a metaphor for um, global warming. Is, is how it's uh, portrayed. Uh, and the idea is it's coming to wipe out all humanity and there's a, a handful of people trying to warn them about the future that comes and instead people adopt the motto, don't look up. Just ignore the future that's coming, don't look up. And um, quite, yeah, <laughs> the, the very sad thing of the movie, I won't give the ending away, although it really does go out with a bang, um, is, yeah, people just choose to live their life. They just start partying. They, there's this dramatic future ahead of them and they just choose to ignore it. <laughs> they go, don't look up. Let's just look down. Let's, let's party away. Um, and instead, uh, there's just a handful of people saying, look up. And I want to say, if you're not a Christian here today, um, you need to look up. <laughs> Okay, global warming, that's important, but there's an even more dramatic future awaiting you, which is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has been established as ruler of all heaven and earth and is returning to judge. Be prepared for that future. Look towards the end and jump on that race towards the finish line by putting your trust in him now. But for believers, we need to hear that same warning. We are going for glory, not the glory of an impressive life now, but crossing the finish line. We can enjoy the scenery along the way, enjoy your coffee, enjoy working out at the gym, enjoy this world that God has given us, but it's the scenery. It's not the race. Look up towards the end. Well, the second thing I think that comes out of this is run together. Uh, I haven't majored on this, um, but uh, uh, Jeff's question before was uh, really important for that, is how do we do this well together? That's what Paul is pointing to here, following the examples of those who are running this race, setting his own example and being examples for others. That is, you are not on this race alone. You're not hitting the footpath at 5 a.m. every morning by yourself. But we together are racing towards the end. That helps us have the discipline to run the race. It helps us strive towards the end as we see others striving towards the end. Look up and run together. I'm going to pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and we pray uh, that we would not be distracted by the things of this earth, but that we would rejoice in the things you have given us and know deeply in our hearts that Jesus Christ is returning. Father, we thank you for those of us that know you. We are citizens of heaven and that we would live out that future identity in the way we live in our world now. Father, there are so many good things you've given us 
And it is so easy to live for them. And so we need your help, Father. We need your help to keep lifting our eyes to our heavenly future in Christ. To keep knowing that we have a future glory that our bodies will be transformed into and we don't live for the glory of our bodies now. But we thank you that you don't just give us your spirit, you don't give us your help, but you give us one another, examples in the faith, examples of those striving ahead, examples of those who have suffered and yet focus on the end. And so, Father, please help us to find these examples that we might emulate them. And, Father, please help us to be these examples that others might emulate us. We ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.